Do you want to know what's going on in the Adventist world, but you only have five minutes? Well, you're in luck. The Scratch is an STA news aggregator condensing broad news down into one short brief delivered right to your inbox every single week. The Scratch team has developed a new, more efficient way for Adventists from all generations and all places to engage with their denomination, but they need your help. In order to fund this endeavor, they're raising $12,000 by July 9th through Kickstarter. If you believe that news should be accessible and easy to understand, consider supporting The Scratch by going to www.thescratchnews.com. That's www.thescratchnews.com. Hey everyone, Jesse here. Before we get into the episode today, I want to talk to you about our Facebook group. If you've been wanting to talk about some of the stuff that we've been um, discussing on Burn the Haystack with people who are also discussing through this stuff and working through some of this deconstruction, reconstruction sort of business, the Facebook group is the place to do it. Head over to facebook.com and type in Burn the Haystack, find it under the groups tab, join it, Use the secret password Poppy Gloria to join and discuss. Josh and I are there, as are Laura and Josh Wood from our team. So if you want to discuss stuff with us, with like-minded people, then please head over, join the group, join the conversation. All right, let's head into the episode. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. And today we are in part two with the with the the, the Lundquists, who I'm sure I'm saying their name wrong. You but anyway. always hesitate when you say their name. You, you're like, Lundquist? <laughs> I know, I just... Oh, I feel like I've had so many conversations, but I just, every time, I think it's just because I, I know people who, anyway, it doesn't matter. I know somebody else, you and I both know somebody else who's got the surname Lundqvist. Yeah, that's the one that throws me off because I think of that one and then I... Uh, I anyway. think they're the same surname, but one of them is slightly more accurately Nordic than the other. I think that's it. Mm. It's. Did I ever tell you that I that I would discover in my genes that I'm pa- partially um, Nordic? Is that where your urge to grow long hair comes from? Maybe. <laughs> my my dad has this like problem with his um pinky finger. Um, where like there's basically this disease that you get. Um, and it like makes your pinky. I can't really explain it audio only, but your pinky basically bends over and gets sort of stuck. Oh, down, so like like curves s- in on itself. Selective arthritis or something. Uh, it's not really. I don't know if it's like an arthritis thing because it starts. It comes down from like the wrist and it's the tendon down there. And then it pulls it in and it gets sort of stuck. You can like get it surgically fixed, but the surgery is actually down on your wrist, not on your pinky. So it's really interesting. Is it like a nerve is it like a nerve condition or something? I, I think so. Okay. Yeah. And um the doctor when they were looking at it, they were like, Oh, that's actually like a Viking disease. Oh really? And dad was like, What? Really? <laughs> and then yeah. Um but he said that after actually, this is really interesting. I know we're getting a little bit sidetracked. Yeah. When my dad was in Norway, he went there for a holiday and he went there and he's like Something about it here just feels like home. Like he's like I've never felt like this before, but something about this feels like home. Wow. And he came back and had a doctor's appointment, and that's when the doctor said, "Oh, that's a Viking thing." And he's like, "Really?" And then so then he got a DNA test. Turns out it's there. We had no idea, but it's there. Even though we just thought we were from Ireland, but it could be from like the Vikings coming over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I would say so, you know because like a lot of people living in the UK have either German or French or Nordic. Um, descent because of the invasions and the the conquests and all that sort of stuff. So it's not surprising. Yeah. Oh. So is it a large percentage or is it just like a small percentage? Oh no, it's pretty pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still, it's there. And that's I'm gonna say that's where my that's where my hair comes from. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so you can call me Bjorsh from now on instead <laughs> of Josh. Stjorders. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Bjorsh Stjorders. Stjorders. <laughs> 
Chiotic <laughs> Bjorish. I don't know. All right. Okay. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't think we have that many Nordic listeners anyway, but it doesn't matter. If we Still, do, I love you. Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome to the hey. family. <laughs> Josh is one of yours. <laughs> it's Bjorsh. What are you talking Bjorsh, about? Bjorsh. Bjorsh. I'm pretty sure Bjorsh is like a is like a Polish cabbage stew or something like that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what that what's that's what that is. <laughs> I wouldn't know. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. I, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> hey. I, in other news, um, I have a new microphone. Woo! Woo! So, uh, Biosh has had for, uh, what, about six months now? You've had your beautiful Shaw SM7B, which I've been I've been very jealous of. <laughs> Every time we video here chatting, I just see his face. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, anyway. so so here's, here's like a little bit of a funny thing for you guys on, on the technical side of Burn the Haystack. For the last six months, Josh has been recording with it like an $800 microphone and I've been recording with a $40 microphone. So I want you guys to go back. Have you noticed this? Like, is this something that, you know, the quality that you've noticed? Because I edit all the episodes and honestly, like I'm not an audio engineer. I'm not trained in this or anything like that. So everything that I've learned, I've learned off YouTube and the internet. But I don't know. It's it's funny how like I saw this video recently from a YouTuber called Rumi where he reviewed like a twenty dollar mic versus a twelve thousand dollar mic, and it's surprising the quality you can get out of a twenty dollar mic in certain applications. But I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. Like, here's a little message for anybody wanting to start a podcast or some sort of I don't know audio based. Well, even videos, and you just need audio. Music like you can get a good cheap you can get a good cheap microphone you just have to get the right microphone for the situation at yes. the end of the day yes like my first microphone was pretty cheap but it wasn't the right microphone it just picked up too much surrounding noise whereas if i just got one like your 40 dollar one originally probably would have probably would still be using <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know like why why yeah if it works i don't know that's the thing for me you don't need the best gear We've no. upgraded, but that's just because we want to really keep investing in this ministry. But I don't know. Yeah. When you're starting out, it's more about just getting the right gear for the situation you're in. I agree. I agree. And it is an investment what we're making with our Shure mics because these mics are literally like there are people who have had these mics for like 50 years and they're still yep. sort of, they're still kicking. They're, they're that that pedigree of just good, um, reliable just solid mics so same microphone that michael jackson used to record thriller yeah so i fully yep. expect to basically have this for the rest of my life hopefully i mean that's that's yeah. what i'm hoping no same well i usually i also use mine for my music but anyway we're getting we need to <laughs> we need to get into the episode yeah 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 uh, i thought i just i just I, I was just excited i just wanted to share that you know because i'm excited it's cool yeah so you should be it's good news yeah um, so today, uh, we are getting back into our conversation with Kim and Ben Lundquist. Last week, we talked all about dating and all that sort of fun stuff. And this week, we are talking about marriage. Mawiage. Love and marriage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, What's that yes. show? Uh, anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah. So today, uh, that's that's what we're talking about. It. I I really enjoyed this conversation. We recorded these back to back, so you guys will probably notice that I'm still sick. Um, so that is awesome. <laughs> and um, but no, our seriously, our conversation was really really interesting to me. Um, we talked a little bit about a kind of a spicy uh topic, which is cohabitation. That that's a that that's an interesting one, and that's something that I'm seeing a lot more in our culture today. I don't know if I don't know it was it was there before people were doing it like way back, but I'm just noticing that less and less people are actually like dating to get married and they're just kind of moving in together and the implications for that as a society is yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, no, some really we did park there for a little while and talked about commitment and all that kind of thing. So it was a pretty interesting chat. I'm excited about people hearing it and I'm excited about hearing some feedback from people. So let's uh, let's just jump right into it. 
All right, Ben and Kim, welcome back to the podcast. So good to have you with us. Thanks so much. We uh, we had an incredible time on the last episode talking about, at least I did, Kim, talking about <laughs> dating. How about you? Did you I have did. fun doing that? I did. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, uh, we, yeah, really, uh, it's, it's a great time getting to just open up some life with both of you and, and hopefully help a few people along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys shared so much great insight. So again, I would say to all of our listeners, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure you go and do it. It was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, So before we get into this next episode, uh, I want to know a little bit about Kim because, I mean, we've had Ben on before, you know, we've we've talked a bit um, and, you know, there's some really interesting little bits of information that we don't know about Kim. So Kim, when you guys met at... uh, Southern Adventist yep. University. Yep. What were you studying? Did you graduate? Uh, when I first actually uh, went to Southern, I was a commercial graphic um, major, and I've switched oh. probably like three or four times. Ended up graduating with nursing. So, um, so a big yeah, shift. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a shift. I switched to education in between there. Um, you know, I didn't have a great uh, direction, a lot of interest in a lot of the areas that I, I would say I was pretty good. I'm good with art. I'm good with people. I'm good with helping others. I have a lot of like natural gifts, but I just didn't have this like, ah, this is my thing, you know. So so I ended up with nursing and um, yeah, so. Oh, so, yeah. cool. <laughs> so what do you spend most of your time doing now? Um, so my, uh, kids are both in school now. So I have a uh, first grader and a third grader. And, um, uh, for the first, the younger years as they were until kindergarten, I was actually at home with my kids. Just, um, we were in Arizona at the time and didn't have family close by. And I just always really wanted to be, um, able to stay home with my kids during that time. So I kind of did a few odds and ends, nursing jobs, uh, clinics and shot clinics and traveling here and there for a few things when I was at home with my Mm -hmm. kids to maintain my, my license. And, ended up getting my bachelor's and then, um, yeah, so now I'm kind of looking for that next piece of, uh, my career. Um, and I'm looking into maybe public health nursing. Like I was just talking with you guys a little bit ago about doing, um, sex education for schools as health, as well as health education and different stuff like that. I love education and I substitute teach right now as well at my kid's school. And I really enjoy working with, uh, just kids in general and also the young adult age. So, so yeah, but I'm hoping maybe public health nursing yeah we end up uh one thing kim and i you know both love i think as far as a shared passion we both love uh doing life with young adults and being able to sew into that demographic and so we actually uh just loaded up a truck with a bunch of our stuff this morning and we're going to be leaving uh portland oregon where we live uh in about a week and a half and we'll be moving over to central oregon where we're going to live at the 7th Avenue summer camp called Big Lake for about three months. And so we uh, live at Big Lake over the summer, and our role is to co-mentor about 120 young adults over the summer. And so a great friend of mine named Les Zolbrick, him and his wife, they run Big Lake Youth Camp. And so our role is really to come on as a support layer, mentoring later layer, and do some leadership development. So Kim and I yeah, are always blessed during the summer to get the team up and just do life together uh, with a lot of young adults, trying to encourage them and, and share some direction, do a lot of praying with people. Mm. Mm, that's fantastic, and it's fantastic that you guys can do that together. Yep. Um, what, yeah. a, what an incredible thing. So last week we talked about you guys, your dating background, um, coming together as as a couple, really starting that friendship, and then later on getting into into that that's college dating sort of experience, um, and then you stuck it together and you you got married. Would you like to be able to just give us a little bit of a uh, a snapshot into that that journey from dating to wanting to get married? I know that you talked a bit Ben about um, asking um, for um for 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 Kim's uh, father for her hand in marriage, blah, blah, blah. Um, what was that journey like for you guys going from dating to marriage? Well, I mean, I can remember when, um, Ben being the senior and I was kind of like a sophomore in between sophomore, junior year. And he got a call because ministry that, you know, your senior year, you get a call to 
somewhere in the country, and he got a call to actually Arizona to be a youth pastor, and he ended up accepting it. He had told God the first call he gets, um, he'd take it. And I thought for sure he would have stayed in Georgia, which is right near Southern, and we would just, he'd be there until I graduate, and it would be easy. So, of course, he gets this call, and that puts a stress on our relationship because we're thinking, are we going to stay together? We're, what are we going to do? Now we're going to have to do long mm-hmm. distance. So, of course, I confront him and tell him, <coughs> like, I want a, like a verbal commitment, like that you see yourself marrying me because you're going to be going all the way to Arizona. We, we like to call this, when it, in conversation of, of dating, this is the DTR conversation. Define the relationship. The relationship. Yes. So, you know, are we going to go long term? Are we not? But that DTR. Yeah. And throughout dating, I mean, he had made comments. I knew that he, you know, talked about the longevity of our relationship in so many ways of he sees himself marrying me, but he hasn't said it. So I kind of was like, hey, if I'm going to commit to doing this long distance, I just want you to tell me that you see this heading towards marriage. And I had no I, I just knew he did. And he ended up kind of blindsiding me and telling me actually no and God wants me to be single and I mean how can you argue with that because I did not feel Mm -hmm. that way so I think that was our our last breakup before um we ended up and it really it really was not about the voice of God it was about the voice of of insecurity (laughs) and the fear of commitment (laughs) it wasn't God's voice I think it was my own voice yeah and uh anyway yeah Kim and I we we worked through that, you know, and I think just saw yeah. you know, the value of that commitment, and uh, yeah, we ended up getting married, and uh, was was kind of a big, I think, deal for both of us in starting that chapter because I was starting um, a pastoral journey at a new church, uh, which was out in Phoenix, Arizona, and Kim and I, um, I ended up moving out to Arizona about nine months before Kim got there, but we ended up um, not only getting married but really moving across the country together and then launching this whole new life with absolutely no community. So we didn't know anybody. And so everything was brand new. And Kim um, had done some schooling at Southern Adventist University, ended up finishing out in Arizona, graduating from a university called Grand Canyon. But there was just a lot of puzzle pieces that we were trying to figure out and sort through in that first year of marriage. And it was, I, I think for me, you know, we've talked, Kim, but you look back, the, those first couple of years were really challenging. I mean, there were great memories and moments, but there were, was also a lot of challenge. And I think, again, no matter how similar you may think you are to somebody, um, again, it's by the grace of God that you pray together and these this relationship mm. can get blended and I think, Kim, you brought up a good point as we were just talking before we jumped on uh, the podcast that when you marry somebody or you're, you're, you know, you're starting that relationship off, that who you see is not the final product. You mm-hmm. only see that person within that life season that you're in. And so, um, yeah, I think uh. both, both of us had so much growing to do. And, you know, looking back... Um, yeah, we prayed through a lot. We had tough conversations. We had moments of joy. I think both of us, if we're honest, probably had moments of what are we doing, you know? And and it was never did we make the right decision, but maybe more of what is God doing here? Like we we're trying to figure this thing out and we're feeling pressure and and I think you're comparing yourself to other couples because you still have some insecurity because you're brand new and you're just trying to sort through yeah, we you know, definitely had it. I would say a little tougher start just yep. with, you know, automatically I didn't have the support of my family. And, you know, that yeah. was an insecurity I carried. I moved, born and raised in Tennessee, East Coast, moved out to Arizona. So I'm uprooted. And then, you know, our my communi- the way I communicated wasn't the best. And I held stuff in. And I just, you know, I think the first definite year. And I was becoming a pastor's wife. And I hadn't mm-hmm. been raised in the church. And so all my friends were like whoa, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, gotcha, three years later. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just a, it was a journey. And I think, um, you know, I think because of um, just our relationship with God and just, you know, prayer, it, that's how we got through those years because it's definitely now I see some of the young adults that Ben marries and I'm like that he gets to marry and they 
have started off just so much smoother. You know, they have families that support and love them. They have set jobs. Here I was finishing school, transferring credits. Like, I think this is what I'm doing. And, you know, just mm. it, there was more struggles at the up front. So it was challenging for sure. But, you know, we grew through it. So yeah, and, I, and I think that's the, you know, when you look at struggles, you know, um, if if you have them, I think that's really normal, especially launching off into a marriage. And even in different different seasons of your marriage are going to present different struggles mm-hmm. because you're going through different things. And, and so I think when you look at struggles, struggles are either going to draw you to God and closer together or or you cannot talk about the struggles and you can just and you cannot put the effort into tackling and approaching the struggles together and struggles could drive you apart you know so i think you have to look at yeah the struggles are going to be there and i just have to look at how are we going to approach the struggles and can we look at the struggles as incredible growth opportunities for us versus oh no we have this struggle we weren't meant to be and all of a sudden you go to this dark place of we're not going to make it or i can't believe this person is reacting this way or if only i had known i would have second guessed and i think Mm. in the moments of those struggles you have to uh number one just remember those are normal i mean you're blending two lives together and only by the grace of god that struggles are normal and then you have to make the decision that these struggles, as challenging as they may be, they are not going to drive us apart, that we are going to work through this. And one thing, uh, one piece of advice that we got early on um, from a very seasoned pastor leader, I think he was in his early 70s, one of my one of my mentors, and he said, um, pray at every twist and turn, you know? Mm. And when you're in those moments of um, there's so much joy pause and thank God for the joy. Thank God for what you're going through in that moment. Don't take it for granted. And when you have moments where you're second guessing everything before you let yourself go down this emotional spiraling journey, call a timeout and just pray and and go back to we love each other. By the grace of God, this will work out. We're going to fight together and we're going to fight for each other. But yeah, looking back, there were definitely some struggles in the, in those first couple years of marriage um, that helped shape us to be who we are today. But in the moment, they seem pretty overwhelming. Yeah, and I, I would I would say I can like testify to that too because I mean Danielle and I when we first moved to New Zealand together, we didn't know we'd never been to New Zealand before. We didn't like when we I remember when we flew over here to move here. That was our first flight here, and it was super scary but it actually ended up being really strong for our marriage because when we mm. got here the only people we could rely on was each other and yep. god and yep. that was incredible for us in terms of strengthening our marriage um a great st- i would recommend it i mean it was hard hard yeah. as um super stressful particularly that first year um but like incredible for our marriage in terms of strengthening it and making us rely mm-hmm. on each other. So I would recommend it to a lot of couples. And I think that's sort of why the Bible mm-hmm. talks about, you know, you have to leave Leaving your family your and cleave mm-hmm. cleave to each other and all that kind of thing. So I think, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's incredible how God can move in, in those trials as well um, sure. to build something stronger. Um, so what would you guys say, I guess, um, what are, I mean, other than, I mean, not everybody's going to have the chance to move to another country or to a whole nother state together. <laughs> um, but what, what would you guys say are some like, uh, I guess some, some tips you have for launching a strong marriage? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll start off with a couple um, that I um, think back. And again, you may not have recognized it in the moment, um, but looking back, you yeah. think those were, those were important um, habits or practices that we hit in our marriage. You know, I, I think that, you know, when you think about um, a marriage growing and progressing and, and just laying that good foundation, I think that communication is huge. And you've got to be willing to talk about the little things and you've got to be willing to talk about those untouchable topics that you don't want to talk about that are really important. And I think there mm. are, again, there are things that just come up and you got to decide How are we going to intentionally approach this conversation? Are we going to avoid it altogether and let it just uh, let it just plant these 
seeds of separation between us, or are we going to go at it with grace and patience and love and just talk about it? And I think, you know, four of the big untouchables that I think are really important, just as a piece of advice, you got to be willing to talk about the stresses within your family. And, and that means mm-hmm. your, your family. And I, I would just tell anybody, if you are married, you are a legitimate family. Just you and that other person, you are a family. And that family yeah, yeah. is number one priority over anybody else's family. That's number one. And especially for somebody uh, like a lot of us on, the, on this uh, podcast who are in the ministry, we got to be reminded our family is number one priority and be able to mm-hmm. keep that perspective. But talk about family. Um, talk about the stresses of extended family. I think being able to talk about finances is really important. You know, some of the things that you don't want to talk about, being able to talk about um, spirituality, um, I, I think is important because you want to grow in those areas, being able to talk about sexuality or romance. And I think you you really walk that line, and Kim and I have just had to um, kind of experiment with this. You walk that line of, of, of really trying to be intentional but also trying to be Holy Spirit-led. And so I think there are right times to have certain conversations. And so I think you, you just want to always, I think, have it as a goal that we want to be a couple, married couple, that talks about everything. We do. Like we, that, that, that's, Kim, that's Kim and I. You know, we talk about it all, but it all, that culture hasn't always been there from the beginning, but it's grown over, you know, being married 14 years. So, yeah, I think... Yeah. For me, just starting off, you know, some of those pieces of advice, I would definitely say build a culture of communication. And it's going to take some time to get built up, but build that up over time. And part of the reason why it takes a while to build up is you got to figure out how can you communicate with your spouse in a way that's going to mean the most to them and be the most meaningful for them. And often we communicate in the way that is the most natural for us, but not always in the way that's received mm. the most effectively by the person that we are married to. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I know there's times with him I'm like, hey, don't pasteurize me is what I call it because he gets in that pastor <laughs> mode. And I'm like, hope, put the brakes on right there because you're, you're doing yeah. it, you know, <laughs> and, not, and it's not I'm not perceiving that well, you know, like I'm not receiving it. So but I told him like. Yeah, communication is huge. And I think, too, like like for me, coming from my upbringing, um, I've had to seek counseling outside of just talking with him about certain problems. And I think realizing things, and I started to early on in our marriage and then um, stopped, and I wish I would have kept going. Um, but I think it's sometimes y- your spouse can't be everything. And I think, yep. too, realizing that if, you, if you're frustrated, if there's things that you can't necessarily get from that person – you know, for me, I had to see a counselor, and that actually helped our marriage more so, I think, because I was putting stuff on him of, like, how why isn't he able to help me fix this? And, you know, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a pastor, but he's not a counselor. So it's one of those, um, that's helped, too. And, and he's even, to, you know, like, it's just, that goes with communicating. I mean, he's told me, Kim, there's no shame in that. You can go do that, and it's made you better for it. And, yeah, communication, I think, is huge. Finances, I think those are what the two most common things that cause divorce is communicate the lack of communication and financial issues. So, yeah, I, th- I think Kim, yeah. Kim brought up a good point that, you know, to be to have the healthiest marriage, you have to have a commitment to be the healthiest version of yourself. Yeah. And so I think there is a. Um, there's a leading that you each have a part of in marriage. And I, I hope that people can gather this from our conversation. There is no hierarchy with Kim and I. We are absolute co-leaders in this relationship and in our family and in our marriage. There's no, I don't speak down to Kim. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes she speaks down, not us. She doesn't <laughs> speak down to me, but we are, you know, we're co-leaders. But we recognize that if we're going to have the healthiest marriage, and, and now we have a family. We've got a little daughter who's about to turn eight on Monday. She got her birthday. She reminds us of her birthday ten times a day that it's coming up. <laughs> but, I, but, you know, to have a healthy marriage and healthy family, we have to be the healthiest versions of ourselves. And I would just say even in the context of marriage, you know, 
you know, committing a life to somebody else, you still have to practice self-care and you Mm -hmm. have to lead yourself so well. And I would just tell anybody, if you need to go get counseling or support to work through something from your past or because you just need to process some life, go do it. There's no, there's Mm -hmm. no shame in that. And don't wait. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would never want to look back you know, five years down the road, look back and just think to myself, Benjamin, you should have done that. Like you should have done that. You know, whatever you need to be the best version of yourself, which will help create the best marriage possible, which will ripple effect into a healthy family. Um, I, you know, we, we both, I think, are big believers that we are not going to compromise self-care and self-leadership. Like, and, and, and again, it wasn't there from the beginning of our marriage. It's been built over time, but we just know that when we are both healthy and growing, we have a cup that is overflowing that we can bring into this marriage versus two cups coming into a marriage that are depleted and empty. And the expectation is to give to one another, but we just don't have a lot to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. And I, I can definitely echo that. You know, I think for the first year and a half of, of my marriage with Karina, our biggest our biggest issue was we had come from completely different worlds. Yep. Both, as we were talking about last week, you know, you we we're both raised Adventists. So you'd assume that you're raised around the same sorts of people. You go to mm. the same sorts of churches. You're involved in the same. You must be the same. But... Um, you know, she grew up in an immigrant family. I grew up in a Caucasian farming family. You know, they lived in the city. We lived in the country. We, um, my, my parents have never owned a house. She's lived in the same house since she was a little girl. And, um, so when we came into our marriage, the lack of communication Mm -hmm. around finances, particularly sexuality, um, healthy sexual, um, expectations and boundaries, we weren't able to have those those conversations because we just assumed that what we had was the the correct ethic or the correct you know sure. um, yeah and and that was that was really really difficult and it's it's gotten so much better over the years that we've been able to figure this stuff out mm-hmm. as we go but as you guys have often alluded to it's still a work in progress no matter how long you're you're married for. Um, I'd like to switch gears, if, if we may, just for a little bit, sure. because whilst you um, can speak from your personal experience in your marriage, you are also speaking into the lives of young adults in your region. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you must have noticed over the past, I don't know if it's the past decade or two decades, the idea of marriage or the reputation of marriage has just been on the decline amongst particularly young adults, um, millennials, the 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 distrust um seeing everybody every every second person it seems like has seen one of their parents divorced or um everybody knows of somebody who's been impacted really really strongly by infidelity divorce people who maybe should not have gotten married in the first place what are you noticing about um this the rise in just cohabitation without getting married the mistrust that people have around the institution of marriage could you speak to that yeah you know um i would respond by saying in the in the adventist young adult circles that we connect with and it's probably i think there are some voices outside of adventism that definitely would have a differing opinion I would say the majority of young adults that we connect with, you know, we, we, again, spend three months with 120 young adults every summer for the last three summers. And I think I'd like to see what what Kim had to say, but I think that the idea of marriage is still held in high regard by many Adventist young adults that we connect with. I don't know, Kim, what you think about that. No, I, I do. Like, I agree with that. I mean, you've done so many weddings, so... I mean, I, yeah, I think it still is. I mean. Yeah, and I think for, you know, for anybody who's jumping on, you know, this podcast because you're interested in the conversation of marriage, I think it's important to just put it out there that marriage uh, may not be in the cards for every person, and it may not be the huge goal for every person's life to be married. I think you have to own 
is that where God is leading you? Is that in your spirit, you know, when it comes to the desires that you have for your life and your future? But I think to answer your question, so many young adults that we meet, they are talking about getting married someday, you know, and, and they're wanting to either have the health that their parents have or they're wanting to break the chain of what they 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 saw as a negative uh, marriage that didn't go well, and they have the hope that they can chain break and be able to create create something that could be healthy, you know, for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think as far as you know, it, it's just all across the board. You know, I think there's there's uh, some young adults we meet that they fully believe in testing the waters through cohabitation. Yeah. Um, so there, I think there's that train of thought. There's another train of thought that says. You know, as as wise as that may seem, there's also inherent risk involved in, you know, cohabitating. Because if you're, I mean, chances are, if you're cohabitating, you're sexually active. And if you're sexually active with somebody and you don't have a long-term commitment to that person, you know, there is a bit of risk involved, you know, with bonding yourself to somebody in that way. And so I, yeah, I think I wouldn't want to speak for every young adult, but I think there's a lot that, um, don't go the cohabitation route. There are some that do. The vast majority of young adults, I think that Kim and I connect with, again, still view marriage in high regard, and the majority of them would like to be married someday. Yeah, and I think with the cohabitating, I mean, I, one of my best friends from um, high school, she d- ended up doing that before. She's She ended up marrying the guy, but I think statistically, I forget what the statistic is of, if you do cohabitate before marriage, the chance of it working out is lower. And I don't know if that was like 70 or it was, and it was a shocking number in my, in my opinion. But, um, but yeah, I think that's a really tough subject because I, I mean, yeah, you, you are probably sexually active and it's just, I think it inevitably is probably going to be harder on the female with your having all the benefits of marriage without the actual commitment, commitment, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. for females, that's when it, if it does end up not working out, it's even harder to get over because you you were kind of married to that person, you know? So it's like without the actual, the ring on the finger and th- that deep of a commitment. So I think it just makes everything more challenging in the long run, you know? And, and I've just seen people get really hurt when it doesn't work out, but, you know, and then you take in people's past. I, I mean, I know if your parents went through a rough divorce, you that affects you and it affects your relationships. And, for me, I took what I saw my parents do and I wanted to do the opposite. And I think, too, that was realizing, hey, I need help. I need counseling because I'm seeing things in myself that are not healthy. And I don't want to repeat the cycle that my parents repeated from their parents. And, um, you know, and I, I feel like I've, I've I've done that in the sense of I'm breaking the chain in my family. But um, yeah, so I, I in my opinion, I don't think cohabitating is the best, but it's not my my place to judge people's journeys and where they come from. And it's, you know, I mean, what are your opinions with, with that? too? Yeah. I think, you know, Kim and I, again, um, we don't judge, we don't judge anybody else's journey. You know, everybody, everybody's yeah. got to own, own their own journey. Um, I, I think when you just look at the practicalities of certain approaches to relationships, um, when you, when you ask yourself, is cohabitation the wisest approach to, be living together and playing as if you are married without the long-term commitment to each other, there's risk involved in that. And and when you are married, you know, and you join these two lives together as one, the top priority, apart from leading yourself well, the top priority is what is best for us as a family because we are a family together. But when you're cohabitating, you're living together as if you're married, but your priority is still individually. Um, you know, so it's really about, you know, I'm together with somebody, but really my number one priority is still me. And so you're, you kind of have the benefits and the rhythms of committed relationship, but your highest priority is not the family as far as you two being married together. Your highest priority is yourself. And I think there's just a lot of risk involved, you know, in in that kind of approach. And I would say Kim and I have seen some some cohabitations uh, lead to marriage and people seem to be fairly happy. But we also have seen some cohabitations 
that end up messy. Yeah, end up messy, and it ends up leaving um, some wreckage relationally, and it doesn't really go well, you know. And and again, I think it just goes back to, um, you know, when you cohabitate, I think your priority might be your priorities are a little bit different versus you know jumping into that marriage. And a great case study, I had a really good friend um, who cohabitated uh, for eighteen years. And so he wow. lived with his um, girlfriend, I guess, for, for 18 years. And for, I guess, for all intents and purposes, they were they were kind of married, but they weren't officially married. And they had both been divorced. Yeah. So it was kind of like we're unofficially married because we've committed to one another verbally, but we yeah. just don't want to go and do it. And, there, were a pa- and there, were, there was a pastor couple who challenged my friend and his wife to say, if you've, been, if you've been living together for 18 years, why not just get married? And I remember mm-hmm. the, the, my friend, he pushed back on that so hard. He said, there's no benefit to being married. We've been living together for 18 years. Like, what's, what's the point? And this couple tried to share with this gentleman and his wife that there is another relational level of intimacy when you are willing to commit your life together in marriage before God. And he said, I just don't know. And he pushed back. And I remember this gentleman um, calling me after he and his wife were married on the back of a houseboat in Kentucky. And they had this incredible (laughs) wedding. And here's what he told me. He said, I didn't get it, but I get it now. He said, there's something different when you go from cohabitating to where you have committed publicly that you are going to be with this person before God and before your community for the rest of your life. And he said, I never would have thought that my relationship could go to the level that it is at right now. I didn't get it. But now that I'm married, I get it. And and so I wow. think there's, yeah, I think there are, there's a level of intimacy and growth potential that comes with the marriage commitment and is it risky? It is. I mean, you know it is because people's pasts, pasts are complicated. And you, you try to know as much about somebody as you can, but you can't always know everything. But I think, again, it's um, surrendering that journey to God and really being honest with what's motivating you in that relationship, making sure your identities are anchored in the right place. And I think there are just places that a relationship cannot go until that relationship experiences that commitment through marriage. Mm. How 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 do kids how do kids affect that situation? Like with cohabitation versus being married. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, that th- that's a great question. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you have kids, um, when you have kids, all of a sudden, I think in a cohabitation situation, you go back to the patterns of your upbringing as your input on how the kids should be raised. And again, you're either going to repeat the behaviors that you saw or you're going to chain break. But again, I think the the challenge is if you're not married, it can become a competition of opinion based on what you saw growing up as far as how your kids should be raised. And so I think it's instead of how do we together mm. raise our kids to be the healthiest that they can be? It's it's this differing of opinion on, well, my parents did it this way, and your parents did it this way. Well, this is what's going to happen. Well, that's not going to happen. We're going to put our kids in Christian school. Well, we're, we're not because I went to public school. Mm. So I think in the cohabitation, the filter is is what do we feel is best for us as individuals, where when you got the marriage relationship, it's what do we feel is best for our family now, regardless of the upbringing that we had, because our family, again, is number one priority. Yeah, I think you nailed that. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember reading... Um, some studies a while ago because I had somebody asking me about the whole cohabitation thing because he was saying, oh, people outside the church have it so lucky because they can move in together and test things out before they get married and all that kind of thing. And I, and I remember saying to him, like, are you sure it's lucky or are we have we got the better end of the deal? And he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, have you actually looked into any research about it? 
um, to show what what proves better. And so we ended up looking into it together, and it was all these. It was incredible, actually. All these studies, none of them Christian, which was you know nice. It wasn't biased or anything. Yep. They were just psychology studies on commitment levels and cohabitation, and almost all of them were saying that if you cohabitate it lowers commitment, particularly in men, yep. because we have a different... We will sit and then all of a sudden, we'll just sort of flick a switch and become committed, whereas mm-hmm. women are a lot more linear. Like, they, over time, will just commit more and more and more and more. Sure. That's what this study showed anyway. And it was saying that if you cohabitate, when when the switch sort of flips for men, it, like, halves the commitment level about. Yeah. Um, and for kids, the sort of cohabitation can be just detrimental for them because... Like they're living in a home, but like I said, their parents aren't committed to being with each other. So it confuses mm-hmm. the kid because it's like, well, does this just mean like they could leave at any time? Or do they have mm-hmm. that same sort of commitment to us? Like could they just kick yep. us out at any time? So it can be really uneasy ground for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think just the psychology alone, let alone sort of biblical principles around marriage, um, <laughs> like the psychology of the studies alone, I think are actually worth looking into um, because there's some really interesting stuff out there. And I think you know what I've seen with with Kim is that um, that you know God God has grown her so much, and especially knowing the challenge challenges that she has had in her past with her own family and her mom with some drug addiction and, and stuff that she was going through. Mm. I think that you know looking at Kim, she is without a doubt you know probably the strongest woman that I know, and. When I remember being married, you know, early on, who I see today was not who I saw at year number one. And so I think it's important to remember. And I, and if there's anybody who's newly married, um, I would encourage you um, give your spouse some grace, you know, and just recognize yeah. that they are not the final product that you see in front of them. But I, but what I think what God used as a tool to help Kim really heal and blossom was the safety and security of marriage that she knew I was not going anywhere and we were going to fight through all this stuff. And so I I think especially women, um, and it may be the same for men, but women really blossom within an environment of safety and security. Security. And so when you know that spouse has your back you're going to begin to enter into a journey of becoming all that you can really become because you know you're safe and you know there's security there. Yeah, I think, you know, without even understanding, I definitely had um, abandonment issues. Like my biological mom, when I was six, parents were having a custody battle. She didn't even show up at the court to fight for us. Like that, I don't even remember the last time was that I saw her. She used the money and went and got drugs. So, and in college, my dad repeated that and... um, he cut me off because I reunited with my biological mom and met her because I needed closure. And he, this is just parents that don't have God. He chose to, because my stepmom, which she's my mom, she adopted me, was just so insecure that she controlled my dad and, and they cut me off. They didn't want to have anything to do with me because they thought I was starting a relationship with my biological mom. So, you know, at two times I had lost both parents, you know, and, and so I think when I married Ben, for me, it was a huge security of knowing, like, I have a person, you know, that's my person. He's in my court. He's here to stay with me. And I, but it took me a while to fully believe that. And I think, like he said, because of that, I was definitely, once I trusted him and knew he wasn't going anywhere and I had that security and confidence, I mean, I was able to do things and I'm still able, I think, becoming and discovering who God wants me to to be and and what career path he wants me to go on but I just never would have probably blossomed the way I would have if I had cohabitated with him versus marrying him because there's a level of trust and security that I have with him that I never could have had if I was just living with him Mm. so I totally think there's you know power with marriage with security and trust especially for females because we're emotional and like you said that's so true like I was telling Ben before that the psychology behind it is women are emotional we bond and we and men I think what I've seen from some relationships is they are like why would I commit to her when I already have everything in a marriage you know like that doesn't make Mm. sense like they like it stops at a certain level like they don't have to earn or work hard to get this person when they already have everything they could want you know so 
But yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah, and I, I, just to add to what Kim was saying, I think there's a, you know, comparing cohabitation to marriage. And again, we're not speaking down to anybody's journey. Like everybody's got to own their approach to what, what they've done. But I think there, there is a blossoming and growth that is capable within marriage because you know that person's not going anywhere. And you know there's yeah. safety and security there where when you're cohabitating, you may think, oh, we're growing so much. But at, at the biggest argument, you can both bail and you can leave yeah. on this thing. So you may think yeah. that you have reached the highest relational growth potential within cohabitation, but there's always that kind of get out of jail free card that's there that, mm -hmm. hey, if this thing doesn't work out, we can just roll and we can just bail. And I think until you have that security of, no, I'm committed to you, I think it allows that commitment uh, lays a foundation that allows for growth to happen within each of you uh, that's incredible, that I think would have a really difficult time happening otherwise. And my friend Jim is such a good case study, married for 18 years. And he thought he, thought he was at the top level relationally that he could be at, multimillionaire, retired at 40 years, years of age. And he thought, why would I even bother getting married until he did? And then he looks back and he yeah. says, I never, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Well, that there was a, there was a yeah. whole nother level to the relationship that Tammy and Jim could go to that was not achievable when it was just cohabitation. But there was something different when there was that spiritual commitment, you know, before God and before family. So, I mean, somebody that may have written in, do, do I think that marriage still has a place today? Absolutely. I think it does. Do I think it's everyone's journey? No. Uh, do I think mm. that 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 our our world um, that it's a very complicated place to have a healthy marriage? It's challenging, and there's not a day that goes by that Kim and I are not reminded of how much work and intentionality it takes to have a marriage that's healthy and thriving. It is, gentlemen. It is so much work. But yeah. it is so. Amen. It, but it, amen. <laughs> it's so much work, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And yes. if it's your journey, yes. And this is this is what God opens up to be able to love somebody unconditionally and just see that grow and and grow together and grow a family together. It is so challenging. It's so much work, but there's so much beauty in that struggle that we look back and even in the tough times. Yeah, they were super hard, but they were beautiful in, in in the way they drew us together, you know, through those those experiences. Yeah, awesome. Hey, uh, I know we haven't got much time left, so um, I guess I was just going to ask, but just before we go, do you guys reckon you can just give up? I know particularly, Benjamin, you're really big on disciplines and good habits. Um, so I thought maybe it'd just be really cool if you guys could just share with us maybe a couple at least of just really healthy disciplines and habits um, that make a stronger marriage that you guys have maybe learned from mistakes or seen in others or that sort of thing, whatever, or you have in your own, you've seen benefits. I'm going to let Kim go first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know, um, you know, for both of us, I think it's definitely having our own walk with God, you know, and I think for me that was a struggle at the beginning of our relationship because I was still learning how to have that because yeah. I was new to having a relationship with God. And I think I look towards Ben a lot like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, how does this work? But I think um, in him respecting me and not trying to talk, like, you know, have any kind of influence with that has been a huge um, blessing and just kind of letting that grow authentically. And, um, and then trying, you know, I tell you with kids, it's sure hard to connect together, but even if there's days where you can only pray together or have that communication of, of a spiritual walk together, of growing together. And I mean, it's, you know, young kids, you're tired, it's hard. But um, even at night, we definitely try at least to talk and, um, when we're going to bed and have prayer together and just kind of debrief our day and really, hey, this is going on. This is, you can pray for this or that, you know, and, and definitely have that journey. Um, I know, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have kids, but it's just that 
it's we wake up. Our son wakes up at like what five thirty six sometimes. He goes to the bathroom at five forty five a.m. every morning, like and then yeah, he, and like then clockwork, and then he, like a grandpa. Discipline runs in the family, up, then right? He's, he's up and he's ready yeah. for the day. Yeah, I don't know. He needs <laughs> well. a lot of fiber or something, but yeah. So we literally, it's hard to find those moments, even for our own personal time. So. You know, we try to definitely, at the end of the day, connect for sure um, and have that time with each other. We both are really big on uh, fitness and health. And I think, you know, that um, when I'm not exercising or having that, like Ben knows, like it's funny, I tease him because after um, I had my daughter, I'd been really sick with her and I'd thrown up the whole pregnancy. I had uh, just mm. not a, it was a healthy pregnancy, but I was just super sick. I couldn't exercise, couldn't yep. do anything. and. Right. When I delivered, one of the gifts he gave me, and I think he at this time had posted on Facebook, was a brand new pair of running shoes. And so he's like, yeah, my wife just delivered and I got her these. And I'm like, why would you post that on social media? <laughs> and everyone's like, give her time. She just had a baby. And I, I, I brought her running shoes and I put them on the end of the hospital bed. And it wasn't like time. a... It's time. Super yeah. offensive for most women. Like, give her nine months. It took her that long to get that. No, so, but, you know, so, <laughs> and, but I'm thinking, I can actually go for a run. I'm a runner. You know, like I love... And I never could do that, like, during pregnancy. And I love – so, anyway, I was super – I had to get on there and defend him because I was like, it is in no way – or, you know, he, was he trying to, like, say lose weight? But it was more like, yeah. hey, you can actually do something you enjoy because you're not throwing up six times a day. So mm. – but, yeah, so I think for us when we – and Ben will even say, like, Kim, there are times, especially living in the Northwest, where the weather affects me, and he's like, go to the gym, get out, go run, because I need that out. And he knows, like – and I'll come back and I'm like, oh, my word, thank you. So for us, you know, connecting spiritually in some way, even if it's a prayer or just debriefing in that way, personal, our fitness. He loves CrossFit. I support him. He goes and does that thing. You know, I love my dance and and running and that stuff. So he supports yeah. me there. Um, I mean, what other advice do you have with that? Yeah, I think those are excellent. You know, I, I would just, you know, throw out there that, you know, when you think about routines and habits – you're always going to have to be experimenting with those. So what worked mm -hmm. in year one yeah. may not be as effective in year three or may not be as effective in year seven or year you know, 11, 12, 14. So I think you always want to be revisiting you know, what are the habits uh, and patterns that we need individually and with our marriage and family for the life season that we are in. You know, And, and you know, when you're in a different life season, you have sex at different frequencies depending on the life season that you yep. are in, you know, within your marriage. Mm. And um, when you have kids, like, don't don't feel guilty or like, dude, is it just me who like feels like we've hardly talked or like, you know, you're exhausted, like you're just like struggling mm. to stay awake and brush your yep. teeth sometimes. So, so I mean, yeah, so I yeah. just ex you know, remember that um, give each other a lot of grace, you know, I think because you're both growing, you're both not the final products of each other. It's it, you know, it's a lifelong journey. And just remember that a lot of the habits and rhythms are experimentation. You're going to have to try different things depending on what your needs are. You know, if your wife or uh, husband lands a new job and the schedules change, you're going to have to, sh to shake things up, you know, or, or look at a different approach. So I would say be intentional about revisiting those habits depending on your life season. And I would also say that, you know, having a thriving marriage really means you have to be the best version of you. So don't think it's selfish to lead yourself well individually so you can bring your best into your marriage. And I think sometimes, you know, again, you want to, you know, be at the healthiest place that you can be so you speak more hope, you're more patient, you're more affirming with that person, you're more hopeful, you know, you look at what God is doing versus always commenting on what you don't think he's doing, depending on how you feel like feel like you're doing. And then, you know, just build up, you know, the habits, you know, that are non-negotiable that just need to happen and, and a rhythm that we live, live out um, fairly regularly, but we think about quite a bit, is the goal of uh, talking at least 20 minutes a day. So every day as a married couple, try to dedicate 20 minutes a day to just debriefing about the day. What's going on? Stresses, hopes, dreams, what happened today. Sometimes the conversation's shallow. Sometimes it's got a lot of depth to it. 
but 20 minutes a day um, in conversation. Try to do a date every week. And so that mm. date every week, uh, if your kids are in school, make it a day date. Um, it may mean you do a date with takeout food. I Maybe that they have good takeout restaurants in New Zealand, but you grab some takeout and you come home. Yep. <laughs> but think about 20 minutes a day talking, a date per week, you know, that you guys that you guys can connect together. And then, you know, think about doing, say, a full weekend together, um, say, full weekend together, maybe once every six months, you do a full weekend together. And then every year you do a full week. So think about 20 minutes a day, a date night a week, date night a week, maybe yeah, a yeah. day, maybe a full day per month, and then a weekend every six months and then a week every year where you're just putting things on the calendar and intentionally creating those kind of memories in advance that you can schedule your life around. And I know for somebody had asked, I think, in the questions about being a pastor's wife or ministry family, and I think it's a lot easier to schedule your ministry around your family events when your family events are already on the calendar to just say, you know, these are the things that we're going to do. And there are things that come up that you just have to feel those crisis situations. But go ahead and lock in those priorities on the calendar so your family is not getting placed on the calendar as a second priority to your church family or your ministry family. And you're able yeah. to just tell people like, um, hey, I love the invitation, but I can't make it out on Wednesday night. And we're not talking about a life or death situation, but something more routine. I can't make yep. it out because I have an appointment. And you don't have to explain to that individual what appointment you have. But if you set a date night aside with your wife, that's a really important appointment. And that's one that I'm committed to keeping because I want to have a marriage that's healthy. So, yeah, we're Kim and I are no experts. Um but Speak I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so she is so humble. <laughs> you know, we're we're no experts, uh, but we're we're praying. You know, every day we're trying to be intentional. We're trying to be honest. You know, with how things are going, and we're experimenting. And every day we just try to keep giving this thing back to God, this marriage, and walking through doors together. Uh, taking self-care seriously, you know, for ourselves as individuals. And somebody shared this quote with me, and the quote was, the best way a father can love his kids is through the way that he loves his wife. Ooh. And I, I, that stuck with me that the best love that I can give to my nine-year-old boy, Koa, or my seven, soon-to-be eight-years-old on Monday, daughter Remy, <laughs> The best way that I can love them is through the way that I love Kim. And uh, so Kim and I are always trying to kiss each other in front of our kids and <laughs> hug each other. And my kids, my kids are like Samson between the pillars. They try to just, they're like, you guys are so gross. And they're, they try to just, sho they, they try to just shove us apart. But I know, I know they're watching, you know, and they're watching the way that I, you know, try to express love to Kim and, and uh, just trying to love my kids and family through the way that I love my wife. Yeah, that's so good. I think that's actually a really great note to to leave it on. Um, so thank you so much, guys, for your time um, and your wisdom and sharing and being so open and vulnerable with us. Um, marriage is such a massive thing. Dating and marriage are big things, especially that um, so many of our audience, are going, well, everyone in our audience really is going through them in some way. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We love being on the podcast, and hopefully that can help somebody. So thanks again for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you guys. And there you have it. That is the end of our second part, our conversation with Kim and Ben Lundquist. I just want to say um, right on the outset, on the on the end, the tail end, uh, how much I really enjoyed our conversation together um these two people they're just they're full of hope they're full of life they're full of enthusiasm they just love life they love people and when you're around those sorts of people it just i don't know it just brings a certain yeah it just brings a certain zest and 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 energy and joy 
to 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 the heart. So thank you, thank you guys. Yeah, um, it was really cool. Absolutely, just loved having them on. Um, feel very encouraged, very inspired. Um, yeah, a bit convicted as well. So <laughs> yeah, really good, really good things to be feeling. Yeah, yeah. So hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Um, as we've both said, we we really did. Um, we uh, hope to to have them back sometime in the future and even more than that i just kind of want to go and visit them now i i really just want to go to portland i want to visit oregon i want to visit the 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 north west of the us cuz i just think it's a beautiful place and seems to be some pretty cool people there as well yeah if anybody wants to sponsor a burn the haystack trip to the states just let us know honestly portland <laughs> would be, be the sickest city like you could we could go there and we could not only potentially see kim and, and ben but the the Bible Project guys, they're in Portland as well. That's true. You're right. And wait, is Caleb Humans of Adventism there now? He or no? might be. I know he just moved recently, but I can't remember where it is that he moved to. It could have been Portland. Yeah, we'll have to we should research that. And Moy is there. There's so many people we could see. Oh my goodness. Portland is like the city where we need to be. Portland, we're coming for you. I don't know when, <laughs> but we're doing it. All right. I genuinely want to go to Portland. <laughs> there so is cool. no escape. No. <laughs> we are coming. <laughs> yep. We're going to go to California. We're going to go to Portland. We're going to go to New York. We're going to go to Texas because that's where our listeners are in the States. <laughs> uh, awesome, guys. Yep. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed. Um, we will be back with you next week for a fresh episode. We're going to be talking about purpose. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? What is the purpose of life? And not porpoises. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> well, we might. All right. Anyway, okay. And for all things Burn the Haystack, make sure you go to burnthehaystack.org. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. There's lots of ways to connect with us there. And, you know, the blog and everything. So make sure you go and check it out because it's good. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. We would love you forever if you did that. Um, and if you haven't left us a rating or a review, please do that. It really, really, really helps us out. And we really appreciate it if you did that. Yeah, absolutely. So that is Josh and Jesse. 